You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going into the research corner. We're going to be talking about some research that's come out about NASM. And I like these because I love digging into the research, but I also like taking this information and sharing it with you so that, you know, we keep talking about NASM being evidence-based and and I think that there's a, a there's a strong correlation between evidence-based outcomes and the outcomes that you can get with your clients. Now, there's a lot of things out there that we've yet to research that uh, are true, but there are a lot of things out there that we have yet to research or that we have researched, and people swear by it. People swear by it, and they look at it, and they go, oh, I did this thing, and it was so good, and it changed my life, and now I'm I'm lighter, or I'm stronger, or I'm, I move better, and, and all of these things. And then when you look at the data, it doesn't, it doesn't show that. That's, that's not what the outcomes are empirically when you study it. So we refer to those things where people say, I got good results this way, as anecdotal. And that just means they're not researched. They just applied some stuff. And the thing is, is that somebody could have felt better because the body heals itself on its own. And there just happened to be an intervention at that time. And they feel better, right? Like sometimes, like all of us have had a strain in our neck. And at one point you wake up one day and there's no longer a strain in your neck. So you might think that maybe there's a certain massage therapist that you went to or a Cairo or somebody that you've gone to the day before and they did something and then you wake up the next day and you magically feel better and it must be them. And let's be honest, as a massage therapist and a fan of Cairo's and physical therapy and all sorts of interventions, I'm a big fan of it. But the research allows us to identify whether something is a one-off experience, removes the anecdotal from the equation, and allows us to look at, well, what does that look like when we do statistical analysis? And granted, what we're going to be talking today uh, is a research study that's done uh, from the Tabari Biomedical Student Research Journal out of the uh, uh, Isfahan University of Technology in Iran. And I want to say this, shout out to the folks, the exercise scientists and physiologists in Iran who have done several research studies on the National Academy of Sports Medicine interventions. So uh, I'm not sure why that uh, that we're finding a lot of uh, research that is coming out of Iran about NASM and implementing that. But Shout out and thank you because we're able to look at this and evaluate what's going on. So what they did in this particular one, they're looking at musculoskeletal disorders. And in these musculoskeletal disorders, there's a variety of things that they're looking at. But let's acknowledge some things here, right? So we've got um, musculoskeletal disorders oftentimes come because there is a lack of physical fitness. But also musculoskeletal disorders can lead to a lack of physical fitness. So there's a there's a catch going both ways. But what they've done is a seri- uh, what's called a semi-experimental study where they take 40 male students 
And they're university-age students, so they're all 18 to 20 years old from the university. And they randomly divided them into an experimental group and a control group, so 20 and 20. And what they did is that the experimental group participated in NASM training sessions for eight weeks, three sessions per week for one hour. And so for for about a two-month period, three times a week for an hour, there's these NASM protocols. But then they did these pre and post. So the pre-post are the interventions, right? So let's test before, let's test after. So these pre-post interventions. And so first of all, they wanted to check the levels of musculoskeletal disorder. And that was done through something called a New York test, and that achieves a score. And then there are some physical fitness things that they did where they measured strength, they measured flexibility, they measured cardio capacity, that they did the queen step test for that one. There was an agility measurement. And they took all of this and entered it into programming after they got their numbers, and then they did a measure of analysis of variance, or an ANOVA, and that allowed them to get a statistical answer. So statistical outcomes. Well, here's the thing. Uh, we've got numerous studies that have examined the role of physical activity and physical fitness as interventions on the improvement of musculoskeletal disorders. And one of the main causes they state in this paper of musculoskeletal disorders is actually attributed to low physical fitness parameters. So uh, not having much strength, not having much endurance or cardiovascular capacity or balance or flexibility as stated in the, uh, in the paper. So what they want to do is they want to improve the physical fitness parameters and see if that then improves the musculoskeletal dysfunctions or the disorders. And so they put in a variety of training protocols, but then they said, okay, well, let's do a study now, an update on these studies and find out what the NASM protocol using the, the corrective exercise model and implement that. So it wasn't just the NASM uh, OPT model, there's a corrective exercise model that was implemented. So they implemented the inhibition, the lengthening, the activation and the integration techniques into the workout. And when they did that, they would go through these different types of tests so they're randomly divided into control and experimental group. They did the New York test, a foot and trunk muscle strength test, the Queen's step test, a four by nine shuttle run, and a sit and reach flexibility test. And then the instructions for combined exercising with the NASM approach. They did this for the eight-week study. Training protocol included those four steps of the corrective exercise model, and then what did they use? Well, they used the foam roller for the inhibition. And so they, and on this one, they didn't stop. There was, they moved around a lot on each particular area. And then they did a stretching technique, uh, a static stretching technique where they held for 30 seconds. And then the activation technique was used to retrain and increase the activity of the low activity tissues. And the repetition range was somewhere between 10 and 15 repetitions. And then comes the integration technique that helped to retrain and coordinate movement between muscles. So intramuscular coordination and intramuscular coordination. And then they mapped it all out. And they used this repeated measures of ANOVA and this is 
the discussion that comes from it. So what they found in the paper, they said this. So this is a quote. The aim of this study was to compare the effectiveness of combined training exercise with the NASM approach on musculoskeletal dysfunction and physical fitness parameters of the male students. So there were 40 male students who uh, were involved in the study. The findings of the study showed significant improvements in the status of musculoskeletal disorders and some of the physical fitness parameters, such as muscle strength, flexibility, maximum oxygen consumption, agility of the combined exercise group after eight weeks of training. Some of the physical fitness parameters may be affected by the musculoskeletal disorder. So what they're saying here is that kind of going into both ways, right? So some physical fitness may have limited their ability to do the, the exercises, the physical fitness parameters, but then also weakness in the physical fitness parameters kind of led in and helped to facilitate some of the musculoskeletal disorders that needed correction and rehabilitation. So anyway, what did they find? They find the results of the study showed that combining training with the NASM corrective exercise approach, though they didn't state that, that but that is the implementation model that they used, the NASM approach, improved musculoskeletal functions and subsequently also improved the physical fitness of the people involved in the study. So when they did their pre and post, they went back and found that the exercises that they implemented not only helped with musculoskeletal dysfunction, but now they're fitter for it. It states this in their conclusion. Our findings show that some of the physical fitness parameters, such as flexibility, muscular strength, cardiovascular endurance, and agility, decrease in students with musculoskeletal dysfunctions. Providing corrective exercises, especially combined exercises with the NASM approach, can improve musculoskeletal disorders in addition to improving physical fitness parameters. It is therefore recommended that therapists, reflexologists, practitioners, instructors use these types of exercises to reduce musculoskeletal disorders and improve physical fitness parameters. I'm a big fan of research. There are a couple of reasons why. One, um, anybody can say anything. And we see that so much in society in general anyway. Like you can just say anything. And the problem is that you can say something and as long as you can't disprove it, then I get to say whatever I want. But the problem is for if I make the statement, then I'm the one that has to have some data behind it. And if you don't have data, there should at least be a basis to pull it from. So uh, I like the statement that says a statement made without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. So if somebody wants to say something to you without any evidence, no backing it up, no valid sources, no research behind it, they want to say something to you without evidence, then it can just be dismissed without evidence. Now, it doesn't mean that's not a good idea, but it's very easy for us to make stuff up and say, prove me wrong. But that's not how it works. That's, that's why it's very hard to disprove a, a negative statement. It's very hard to disprove something if a statement is just made. So for instance, I'm going to say this, uh, and this is my favorite one. I like to use it, that I think that we all agree that the earth spins 
Now, there are some people out there, I know y'all know that they don't believe that, flat as a pancake, but none of the ships fall off the planet. Uh, but with that said, we've got this Earth that's spinning, and I can make a statement, and my statement is uh, there is a giant hamster that is in the center of the Earth, and it is running, and that is what's making the planet rotate on this axis. And you can say, that isn't true, Rick. That's made up. You just made up a story. I'm like, I did it. That's a made up fact. And you go ahead, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. And I can't prove you wrong because I can't dig down into the center of the earth and see if there's a giant hamster in there doing it. I'm trying to rationalize it. But if you could just say anything you want to say and then wait for people to disprove you, you can be out there tossing out all sorts of nonsense. This is why evidence-based practice is important. So we don't just make stuff up and say, you proved me wrong. Anything that can be stated without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. And I think that that's something that we need to pay attention to. So when people point out stuff, then you can say, I don't know about that. What's your evidence? And they don't have any. They say, okay, well, until you show me some evidence, then I'm just going to put that to the side and say, and we're still talking about exercise science people. I know a lot of people flipped a switch in their heads and was like, I'm going to tell my friends about this that I think are right. But this is still about exercise science. When somebody says something and they can't back it up, this is going to allow you to say, hey, you can't back it up, then don't. But I have a research study that came out with these approaches and it has been validated through statistical analysis with some people who are working through and on, uh, through university support and through the PhD program. So with that being said, let's keep, uh, keep evidence-based practice alive, but also keep innovating because it is through the innovation that we figure out what else we need to research. So I'm not saying don't be out there and do some other things that aren't evidence-based. I think that you can do that within exercise as long as it's a derivative, it is a, a spin off, it's based on, you can make application to some other research that's founding or principle uh, setting, and you can base it off a principle. And then you can start making those applications and putting it together. You can add into all your already evidence-based practice. But evidence-based is a big deal for us. I hope that it's a big deal for you. And I'm glad that I can bring some information to you to help support that. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me directly on email, which is rick.richie at nasm.org. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at dr.rickrichie. You can DM me. Also, if uh, you like the episode, please like subscribe, leave comments on this, share with those in your fitness family, and we can start to con and continue because we've been expanding. We've been growing the podcast. So thank all of you. Thank you so very much. Please, let's continue to do so. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything that you do. Keep out there and keep inspiring people to fitness. And this has been the NASM CPT Podcast. <laughs>